I trust uh, we all had a blessed Thanksgiving this past week. We certainly do have a lot to be thankful for. And I trust um, we give thanks heartily and regularly uh, throughout the year, especially as Christians, as we ponder and contemplate what the Lord Jesus has done, has done for us. I think it is worth, uh, I know it is worth mentioning that um, Thanksgiving is a, is a serious subject in and of itself. Uh, it's serious for, for a number of reasons. Let me just give you a couple. Uh, the first is this, a, a lack of Thanksgiving is actually uh, sin. I don't know if you've ever thought of it like that, but there it is in black and white however unpleasant, however painful that might be, but uh, let's call a spade a spade. A lack of thanksgiving is sin. Uh, Tom Schreiner uh, penned the following. Uh, Very simply put, sin is fundamentally a refusal to give thanks to God. That's all it is. Sin is fundamentally, at its very essence, a refusal to to give thanks to God. And I suppose if we trace our history and go all the way back to our forefathers, Adam and Eve, that is precisely what we find in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? We find a man, we find a woman who had everything. A man, a woman whom God had wonderfully, bountifully blessed. But it was not enough. There was a desire for more. And at the root of their sin was this spirit of ingratitude. And if we look at our sins, our long catalog of sins, uh, we will find at the root, in every case, a lack of thanksgiving. Second reason why thanksgiving is an important subject is this. Uh, I know this is a little depressing off the bat, but bear with me. There is good news. Uh, Not only is a lack of thanksgiving sin, but a lack of thanksgiving is idolatry. Uh, The first commandment out of Exodus chapter 20, you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, A lack of thanksgiving is what? It is actually having gods before God. A lack of thanksgiving is a sign that I value something, I cherish something, I crave something, I esteem something something, whatever it is, more than Almighty God. That's what it is. It is a sign that my heart has wandered from the living God after the creature to some extent, and it produces this ingratitude, this spirit, this lack of thanksgiving. And so it is an important subject, extremely important, extremely significant, and crucial that we be, we be clear on the nature of thanksgiving. And our calling, those of us who are Christians, those of us who are believers, our calling to give thanks heartily, regularly, throughout the entire year. What is fascinating is when we turn to Paul's epistles, uh, I think in every instance, except maybe his epistle to the Galatians, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I get a, a sneaky suspicion he wasn't too thankful at the start of that one because he's carrying a big stick in that epistle. But anyway, in just about every other one of his epistles, he begins how? with a word of thanksgiving. And that's exactly what we have here in Colossians chapter 1. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Here we go, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. There you go. The outset of the epistle, the greeting out of the way. Verse 1, we have the author identified. Verse 2, we have the audience identified. And the first thing Paul does, as is his custom in just about each and every one of his epistles, is to begin with a word of thanksgiving. Why is he thankful? When Paul pens this epistle, he's actually languishing in a prison cell in Rome. Things aren't going too well for the apostle. But a man named Epaphras, he identifies him there in verse 7, from the city of Colossae, visits Paul. Paul's never been to Colossae. Paul did not plant the church in Colossae. Epaphras planted it. And Epaphras, a minister of the Lord among the believers in Colossae, visits Paul in his prison cell in Rome, and he brings a report. There are a few causes for concern These will become apparent in the rest of the epistle. But for now, it is evident that Epaphras shares with Paul a pretty glowing report of how things are going in Colossae. And he shares what? That the believers there are growing. He speaks to Paul of their spiritual growth. And upon hearing that report, Upon hearing of how the believers are doing, that church is doing in the city in Colossae, Paul gives thanks. His word of thanksgiving, as it begins there in verse 3, wraps up in verse 8, actually tells us three things about their spiritual growth. This is interesting. Firstly, his thanksgiving tells us something of the nature of their spiritual growth. Here we are answering the question, what? Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now notice the very first word. It's a link in verse 4. Since. And so here's why we always give thanks. As I bow before the Lord in prayer, I'm always giving thanks for you since. Here's why. He gives two reasons. Since we heard. Reason number one of your faith in Christ Jesus, now notice the conjunction, and reason number two, of the love that you have for all the saints. And so there we have the nature of his thanksgiving. The answer to the question, what? That is, he has received this report from Epaphras, two things have stood out and really grabbed and held the apostles' attention. The first is this, their faith in Christ Jesus. Here is a group of people who know what it means to be in Christ. Here is a group of people 
whose, the, whose faith is fixed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is a group of people who understand what Christ has done for them as their mediator. They understand his perfect life, the life that he lived in perfect obedience to his father. They understand his death, his sacrifice, his subsequent resurrection and ascension. They get all this. And you see, they understand the law. And they know that God Almighty has given his law and that in this law there is a duty identified. The duty is this. We must obey God. And we must obey God perfectly. We cannot do that. But their faith is fixed upon the Lord Jesus, the one who has obeyed the law perfectly. The second thing that the law requires not only is a duty, but it requires what? A penalty. Because we are incapable of breaking the law. We break the law every moment of every day. Therefore, we've incurred a penalty, which is what? God's wrath. But these believers, their faith is fixed upon Christ Jesus. He has fulfilled that duty. He has lived a perfect life on their behalf as a mediator. And he has fulfilled that penalty. He has died as a sacrifice for their sin upon Calvary's cross, bearing that wrath which they deserved. And so their faith is fixed firm upon Christ Jesus. And as Paul hears this from the lips of Epaphras, he gives thanks. But there's a second thing that grabs his attention. Not only their faith in Christ Jesus, but it's still there in verse 4. He's heard of what? The love that you have for all the saints. Notice a couple things here. Love, it's actually agape. So what kind of love is this? It is a sacrificial love. It is the love of which the Lord Jesus speaks in John chapter 13. Uh, Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. How had Christ loved his disciples? He had loved them sacrificially. The second thing about this love is what? Not only is it sacrificial, but it is indiscriminate. The love that you have for your immediate family, your wife and kids. No. The love that you have for those brothers and sisters who look, think, and act like you. No. The love that you have for immediate community of family and friends. No. It's an indiscriminate love. The love that you have for all the saints. It is a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that is indiscriminate. It is a love that gets me out of my own little world, my own little environment that I've created for myself, to see others, to perceive others in their circumstances, and to seek their best interests. And so this is why Paul gives thanks. Again, this is the answer to the question, what? The nature of his thanksgiving. There's an extremely important lesson here for us. Let me sum it up as follows. The means, or rather the nature The nature of spiritual growth is vibrant faith and vibrant love. The nature of spiritual growth is vibrant faith. And the object of that faith is the Son of God. Vibrant love. And the object of that love is the people of God. I spent some time in Africa, and I can remember in a couple of different countries, my most vivid memory is, is, is in Angola, uh, visiting markets, and uh, in these open-air markets, purchasing fruit, vegetables, eggs. You know, when you purchase fruit in an open market, you have a pretty good idea of what you're getting. You pick up a banana, 
You take a look at that banana, you feel that banana, you know whether or not it's ripe, overripe, or rotting, right? Same is true of vegetables. You pick up a carrot or a potato, you take a good look at it, it's coloring, you squeeze it, just feel it, you know, is this a good potato, healthy potato, or is this potato on its way out? Eggs, completely different ballgame, isn't it? I can look at an egg all day, and I can't tell whether or not it's a good egg, a fresh egg. But I remember this particular market in, in Angola where we used to shop occasionally, that at the stands where they sold eggs, they would have this little tin of water, maybe six inches high, filled with water, and you were permitted to drop, well, place gently each egg you were going to purchase in that water. If the egg sinks to the bottom and stays there, you know you've got a fresh egg. It's good. If the egg goes to the bottom, maybe hovers, maybe an inch just above the bottom, and bobs up and down, you know you've got an egg that's maybe five or six days old. If that egg floats near the top, it's time to say, no thank you, have a nice day, you can keep your eggs. It's rotten. There is a sign, there is a way to discern whether or not the egg is good or not. Friends, when it comes to Christianity, it is possible to determine whether there is health or whether there is sickness, whether there is growth or whether there is stagnation. The growth, the mark, the sign of spiritual growth is what? It is vibrant faith and it is vibrant, vibrant love. We need to say it and we need to state it clearly because we, we, we suffer from this and, and we struggle with it greatly. The sign of spiritual growth is not intellectual knowledge. I need to repeat that. The sign of spiritual growth is not intellectual knowledge. I am all for intellectual knowledge. And I firmly believe that growth is impossible without knowledge, intellectual knowledge. But I also affirm it is possible to possess that knowledge without growing. Because true knowledge, full knowledge, yes, by the Spirit of God expounding the Word of God, enters through the mind of man, but it grips the heart, influencing all of life. And so spiritual growth, we dare not equate it with intellectual knowledge alone. And we dare not confuse spiritual growth with exceptional experiences, glamorous gifts, or marvelous ministries, the sign, the nature of spiritual growth is what? It is vibrant faith fixed upon the Son of God. And it is vibrant love fixed upon the people of God. That's the answer to the question, what? The nature of their growth. Look secondly at the means of their growth. And so here we're concerned with answering the question, how? It brings us into the realm of verse 5. Notice the first couple of words, because of. So there's a link here. It's an awkward sentence. A little bit of a, a run-on sentence here on the part of the Apostle Paul. And so he's giving thanks in verse 3. He identifies to whom he's giving thanks. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he prays for them, he now gives the two reasons why. It is because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and we have heard of the love that you have for all the saints. Now he is explaining the means by which that faith has come to them. The means, that is instrumentality. The means by which the, that love has come to them. He is now concerned with explaining what, 
how their faith grows and increases and abounds, and conversely, how their love grows and increases and abounds. And so here he is speaking in terms of instrumentality. Here's how this faith and love came to you, and here is how it is growing in you because of, here it is, the hope. There's the means, the answer to the question, how. How did faith come to them? Through hope. How did love come to them? Through hope. How does faith grow and increase in them? Through hope. How does love increase and grow and abound in them? Through hope. And now he says two things, still in the fifth verse. He gives two details concerning this hope. Look at verse 5. Because of the hope, here's detail number one. Laid up for you in heaven. Why in heaven? Because that's where our hope of glory resides, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the fulfillment of every promise Christ has ever made to us resides. We are already positionally seated with Christ in the heavenly places where God Almighty has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. But we only enjoy what right now? The foretaste. We only have a taste of these blessings and promises now. We are awaiting this fulfillment, this day yet future. It is a hope laid up for us in heaven. Notice the second detail, middle of verse 5, he gives concerning this hope. Of this, he's referring to the hope, the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard audibly before, where? In the word of truth, the Gospel, which has come to you. And so the hope concerns something future. The fulfillment of all the promises and privileges and blessings in Christ. How did this hope come to them? It came to them through the preaching, the teaching, the proclamation of the word of the truth. The gospel. Here is the lesson for us. You can probably guess exactly what I'm going to say. The means of spiritual growth is hope, which comes through the word of truth. The means of spiritual growth is hope, which comes always and only through the word of truth. Our hope is fixed on the future. Our hope is the present expectation that we will experience someday, we don't know when, but someday we will experience everything God has ever promised to his children. And so it is a present reality. It is a present expectation that what God has promised us, the day is coming when we will enter into it fully and finally. Now, here's an obvious question. Well, how does that hope, those promises which come through the preaching of the word of truth, the gospel, how does that hope actually cultivate and encourage and nurture faith? Well, my faith is flighty, friends. I don't know what yours is like. As I look around at at circumstances, I feel overwhelmed at times. I look at this world, I look at this country, and I want to throw my hands up in the air and just say, good grief. Good grief, where is this going? What are they jolly well doing? Where is this going to end up? 
I look at my own heart and I see residual thriving sin and at times wonder if I am making any progress at all. I uh, look around at the church and oh, the mass confusion, absolute confusion just seems to be reigning supreme among God's so-called people in our day. And as I look at my circumstances, what happens to my faith? It begins to weaken. It begins to weaken. But hope comes along, and it adds fuel to my faith. Why? Because I'm living in the present with my eyes fixed where? In the future. And I know a day is coming. I know Jesus Christ is going to return. I know there is going to be full and final deliverance from sin and full and final enjoyment of God. I know there is going to be the complete eradication of sin. I know and I understand and I expect that there is going to be a complete renovation of the heavens and the earth, the entire cosmos. It has all been promised. That is my hope. And when my faith faith wanes and weakens in the present because of the pervading circumstances, hope comes along. And what does it do? It adds fuel to my faith. Same is true when it comes to love. Yeah, you're going to find this incredibly difficult to believe. Uh, My love comes and goes. My love for you comes and goes. Uh, Comes more often than it goes. Just as your love for me comes and goes, ebbs and flows. And uh, here it's not that I get bogged down in the circumstances. I I get bogged down in the relationships. And I'd like to take my cross-country skis... um, golf clubs, my good library, and go up and live in northern Ontario or northern Scotland by myself and just live out my days at times in in seclusion. Relationships, they pose problems, don't they? Estrangement from from loved ones, misunderstandings, misinterpretations, hassles, criticism, gossip, everything else. Just add the fuel to the fire, and at times our love, what does it do, do? Even for God's people, our love begins to what? It begins to weaken, but hope comes along, and it adds what? Fuel to our love, hope. I look ahead, and I remember there is a day day coming. Praise God, a day is coming when Brian will be perfect. (laughs) And a day is coming when I will be perfect. A day is coming when all the problems will be gone in Christ, There will be a perfect harmony and restoration of relationships. Love will reign supreme. I know that day is coming. And I know I'm called now to wait for it. And I'm called now to make it a present reality. And when I do that, hope comes and it throws the fuel onto what? My love. That is what Paul is saying here. We've heard. Oh, we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because of your faith in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Your love that you have for all the saints, praise God. And here's why you have faith in Christ. Here's why you have love for all the saints. It's because of the hope. It's the hope. The hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You've made it a present reality. And here's how it has become a present reality to you. You have heard of it before. Where? In the word of the truth. The gospel which has come 
to you. Look at what he adds. As indeed in the whole world. Roman Empire, he likely means by that. It is bearing fruit. That is the word of truth. Is bearing fruit and growing. As it also does among you. Since the day you heard it. And understood the grace of God and truth. This is phenomenal because what the Apostle Paul is doing here in verse 6 is extremely significant. He is equating. He's making these things synonymous. He is equating the growth of the believer. The growth of the church in love and in faith. He is equating it and making it synonymous with what? The growth of the word of God. As goes the word of truth, so goes the church. That's his point. You read through, you give just a casual reading to the book of Acts, beginning to end, and you'll note almost 40 references to how the church was abounding and growing. You know in over 80% of those references, Luke ties the growth of the church to the preaching and proclamation of the Word of God. As a matter of fact, he states the following in Acts chapter 12, verse 24, but the Word of God increased and multiplied. What does that mean? How does the Word of God increase? How does the Word of God multiply? It is as the people of God grow, as the people of God bear fruit, That is the growing, that is the increasing, the abounding of the Word of God. This is the means and the only means of spiritual growth. It is hope which comes through the Word of truth. But notice, before we move on, Paul does not end here. He adds another comment beginning in verse 7. And it may appear to us to be a throwaway comment. Let's just skip over it and get on to verse 9. But no, it's extremely significant. He reminds the Colossians of something here in verse 7. Just as you learned it. So just as you learned it, that is the gospel. Just as you learned it, you heard it, that is the word of truth. From whom? He he mentions names. From Epaphras. Now notice what he says about Epaphras. He makes two comments. Number one, verse 7. Our beloved fellow servant. That's comment number one. These are not throwaway comments. And then he adds what? Second comment. He is a faithful servant minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. What is Paul doing here and why does he do it at this juncture? Follow his thought flow, his logic. He's giving thanks. He's giving thanks. Why? For their spiritual growth. He's identified exactly what he means by their spiritual growth, their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints. He explains the means of their spiritual growth, the how, the instrumentality. It is through hope. Yes, a hope that is laid up for us in heaven, but it is a hope that comes and is declared and the Spirit of God confirms in us through the preaching, the proclamation of the word of truth. This word of truth, it is abounding, it is increasing throughout the Roman Empire as it has abounded and increased in you, just as you learned it from Epaphras. What's his point? The Apostle Paul is putting his what? Stamp of approval upon the ministry of Epaphras. Why? Because problems are brewing in the church at Colossae. Some are beginning to come up with novelties, novel teaching. Teaching which departs from the teaching of Epaphras. And so Paul is doing what? 
He is sanctioning Epaphras' teaching. He is identifying Epaphras as a minister of the Lord, a fellow servant. In other words, what Epaphras taught you is what I teach. And so understand the implications. These are going to come out later. Understand the implications. That anyone who departs from what Epaphras teaches, therefore, of necessity, has departed from what? The apostolic tradition. He inserts it here. Why? Because the spiritual health and well-being of the church rests on this pivotal point, that they understand what the word of truth is. The faith, once for all, delivered to the saints, and understand that the hope is transmitted only through the Word of God, and that anybody who adds to or takes from, subtracts from that Word of truth has departed from the teaching of Epaphras, meaning he has departed from the teaching of of Paul, meaning he has departed from apostolic tradition, and now stands on the outside looking in. And Paul's point is what? You are to deal with them accordingly. Because this isn't semantics. This isn't simply ivory tower theological complexities that nobody understands. No, the spiritual well-being and vibrancy of the church rests upon this non-negotiable point. That's what he's saying there. The third truth that comes out that emerges concerning their spiritual growth is its cause. And so we have the nature of their growth, verse 4, 3 and 4, answering the question, what? We have the means of their growth. Answering the question, how, verses 5 through 8. And then we have the cause of their growth. And you're thinking, well, we've run out of room. Well, I want us to go all the way back to verse 3. The cause of their growth. Here we're answering the question, why? And look at what he says, the third verse. We always thank God. He does not begin by saying, look, my friends, well done. Great effort. Great to hear that you're so diligent and by your best effort, concerted effort, you're managing to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus and you're managing to love, uh, exercise love for all the saints. He does not applaud the church in Colossae. He does not congratulate the believers in Colossae for their spiritual growth. He goes where? Straight to the source. We thank God. There is only one reason why you are abounding in faith and abounding in love through that hope which is proclaimed through the word of truth. It is because God alone, by His sovereign grace, has made the preaching of His word effectual in your mind and in your heart. You give God the glory as I'm giving God the thanks. And the lesson is what? It's obvious. The cause of all spiritual growth is God's sovereign grace. Friend, consider this question if you never have. And consider it carefully and closely. What do you have that you have not received? In the realm of the material, definitely. And in the realm of the spiritual, most definitely. Oh, friend, please take stock. What do you have? that you have not received. It is all of grace. And we give thanks at all times. And we give thanks in all circumstances. 
We give thanks heartily and regularly, not just because it's thanksgiving. We give thanks heartily and regularly throughout the entire year. Why? Because of God's grace. Oh, consider these thoughts as we conclude the infinite. The infinite has become finite. We celebrated that today, the incarnation. The creator has become a creature. That is grace. He who made all things out of nothing was born of a woman. Ponder it, friend. He whom the heavens cannot contain was contained in the narrow womb of a woman. That is grace. The bread of life was hungry. The water of life was thirsty. The greatest rest was weary. The greatest joy was sorrowful. That is grace. The greatest fury and the greatest favor met at Calvary's cross. The greatest hatred and the greatest love were manifested at Calvary's cross. Infinite justice was satisfied and infinite mercy was secured at the cross. That is grace. And we are enriched by his poverty. We are filled by his emptiness. We are exalted by his disgrace. We are healed by his wounds. We are comforted by his pain. And we are justified by his condemnation. That is grace. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift that God manifested in the flesh. God, the Son of God, humbled as a servant. The Son of God, humbled in a servant, made lower than the angels, would give Himself on our behalf. The Gospel is not merely what the Son of God has done for us. It is also what the Son of God does to us. And that God would be so merciful that by His Holy Spirit, He would make this hope alive through the preaching of the Word of Truth, thereby producing, creating, and cultivating in us faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints. Oh, give thanks to God for His inexpressible gift. Our Father, we do join with one voice. We join with one heart and indeed express our gratitude in your very presence this day. Our gratitude for the gift which excels all other gifts. The gift in comparison to which all other gifts pale. The gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has loved us, given himself up for us and secured our salvation for all eternity. Receive our thanks, we do pray. In his matchless name we offer it. Amen.